I have no idea how I write a lot of this stuff. It just comes out like really naturally. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. On this episode, Allison Callery and I talk about her path to songwriting through poetry, as well as how she connected with a boutique record label in Germany and the anticipation before a new album comes out. Enjoy the episode, and as always, please subscribe and follow along on Facebook and Instagram at Living Room UTV. So I grew up. Um... We started off on the east side of Providence, on Waterman Ave. Um, I, I had very young parents, and mm-hmm. uh, in fact, it was my father and a stepmother. And um, but we had tons of vinyl records, which I, which were um, Steel Eye Span, Incredible String Band, Pentangle, and um, you know, Flying Burrito Brothers and okay, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. Some really cool records. And then we had some very middle-of-the-road records like Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown, uh, lots of Joni Mitchell, up everything Joni Mitchell up until um, Pissing of Summer Long. That was the very last record, and then it dropped off. Yeah. And, um, and then we moved to, um, I don't even know what part of Providence this was, but it was in between Manton Avenue and Chalkstone. Like it was okay. in there, not really the west side, like, but beyond Oneyville. Okay. So it was pretty rough. Like it was kind of a, um, my stepmother's folks lived around the corner from our house. So that was part of the reason why we moved there. Mm-hmm. But like, I was the only kid like walking to school with a violin, you know? Okay. <laughs> Was violin the first instrument that you played? It was. I really wanted to play cello, but my parents said it was too expensive, so they said, um, "Here's a violin." Okay. <laughs> my friend played violin, and yeah. they and so um, they're like, "This will be good. It's like a cello." So, yeah. but I never really wanted like I and I never. It was Yipsori, um, and I did Suzuki method, so I couldn't like read really the mm-hmm. notes you know you just do everything by ear yeah but um and then I played with the Ipsori which was the young people's symphony of Rhode Island okay and how how old are you when you started to learn violin uh, I think I was like seven or eight and okay. then I played violin up until I was 13 okay um and then uh right around then my dad passed away and I um I was singing at that point with the chorus at school and I always sang, you know, at church mm-hmm. and like in the car and everything. So, um, but I wanted to carry on what my dad had done. So I wanted to learn his instrument and I still have it, uh, right over there. The, the guitar over there? Yeah, the guitar over there is my dad's. And, nice. um, my, de- my husband just had it fixed for me for Christmas. It was like unplayable for the past 20 years. Oh, wow. So psyched to have it. What, do you know what kind of guitar it is? Yeah, it's it? a Martin uh, classical nylon string guitar. Yeah. Just a little parlor guitar. Yeah. So what was he listening to that kind of 
carried on? Like, were there particular musicians, or was it classical guitar? We definitely listened to a lot of classical, and in fact, he never sang. When he played guitar, it was all instrumentals, but he would play uh, Blackbird by the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. And he would, like, he would make up his own arrangements and, like, do other stuff, like yeah. riffs on that. He did write one song, and it was for me, and it was called The Electric Eel. Yeah. <laughs> when I was, like, really little. But that's the only song I remember him ever writing, or the only song that had words that he would sing. Okay. But for the most part, it was all, you know. But he did. He would bring his guitar to parties and stuff. And yeah. play. And, yeah, he was great. I kick myself because I had, like, he would record himself on little cassettes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, I taped over them on the, ra- oh, you know, okay. the radio in eighth grade, like, because I didn't know. Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kills me. So how did you learn to play guitar then? Did you teach yourself from what you learned from violin in a sense, or did you start taking lessons? I had um, I had a couple of teachers at school. I went to school one. Mm-hmm. Um, my in, like after my sophomore year and in, in public school, it was like awful. So I ended up at school one, which was wonderful. And they had um, someone in the school found out that I had a guitar somehow. Okay. And she wanted me to play um, back up for her to sing Will the Circle Be Unbroken at her graduation. Yeah. So she's like, um, you can play, you know, you have a guitar, play this song. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't play guitar. She's like, it's three chords, just learn them. <laughs> and so I did. Like mm-hmm. some friend told me how and I played it and it was crazy fun and I decided from then on I wanted to be a musician and play guitar mm-hmm. but, so that was um, like your first yeah that was my first performance a... like I got had the guitar kicking around and I was like all right this will do this is it that's cool and then um it's funny because uh Dan Lilly who you might have he's like Dan Lilly and Love Train Dan okay. Lilly that's in Forever Young the Neil Young yeah, tribute yeah. band yeah he was teaching guitar at school one, and he taught me some of my first chords. Oh, wow. And he was into Neil Young back then, and he would always have us like play Neil Young songs and stuff like that, which I did like Neil Young, mm-hmm. but some of my first songs were Neil Young because of Dan Lilly. It's because he was such a big fan. Because he was such a big fan. like he had, you know, He would just draw out the idiot chords. To this day, I can't write or read music, but I... Like idiot chords, I can do. Mm-hmm. And when I'm writing my songs now, I have to, um, if I, for the most part, if I'm in a different tuning or something like that, I have to videotape myself where my hands are, or else I'll forget what I did. Yeah, yeah. And I can't because I can't notate it. Yeah. Or I'll do like some weird notation. <laughs> if it works for you. you know, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been playing music for. 25 years and I have no idea what I'm doing either. (laughs) So so from that age, when did you, uh, like, did you continue to to play songs or when did you start writing? So I wrote in high school, but I stunk and I knew it. And like, I, I, um, you know, my friends were very, very supportive of me and I played a lot of like Joni Mitchell Mm -hmm. and I played Neil Young. Of course I did a, I did a cover of um, an Eagles song. Already gone. Okay. Um, and like some, but mostly Joni Mitchell. And um, because I was aware of what was a good song and I was aware that what I was writing was not good. 
Like, I had enough self-awareness at that time to be like, all right. I was definitely a late bloomer. I didn't start writing poetry that was any good until, like, my mid to late 20s. Okay. And so I started off um, doing poetry. So I was doing poetry readings and slam. Mm -hmm. Poetry was really big. It was, like, 1995. No, 1996. Okay. When were you doing that? So I was doing that. There was the spoken word poetry was meeting at Books on the Square in Wayland Square. Yeah. And um, they gave me my first feature. And so usually could get up and you could read three poems. And But if you're a feature artist, you could read for half an hour and oh, I'm like wow. I'm like ooh I want to I'm going to get my guitar and I'm going to put some of this poetry to music and I hadn't at that point been playing guitar for over 10 years my guitar was under the bed and I was like around 30 mm-hmm. and I put some of my songs to mu- my poetry to music and I don't think I do any of them anymore but those three songs were or you know that was um that was it. Like everybody was like, "Whoa!" You know? Yeah. Okay. And it really fired me up to do it again. Mm-hmm. Like to really like, I always considered myself a guitar player, but at the time, and this was the '90s, there was no open mics. Like there was nothing around mm-hmm. that you could just go and like play a couple songs. And it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, without like actually booking. A, yeah, a set booking or a show. Yeah, which which that took me a long time to figure out. Like okay. Um, I was playing open mics and like every once in a while I would get uh, a concert like offered to me, but I didn't know at the time that you have to actually write to venues or like call a venue up, yeah, you know, and uh, ask to play. I thought that they had to contact you, so I was very passive. Like, <laughs> yeah. What was the first uh, show you did at a at a venue? It was AS220, and I can't remember the series. It was. Um, but a lot of my poetry friends were in the audience okay. and they didn't know that I played guitar. And so I had like this awesome experience of like, yeah, and I play guitar. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was pretty cool. You know, it's like the cool kids of AS220, which I was not, I was not in that, that group. Yeah. You know? Like the artists that like, mm-hmm. live and work there. Yeah. 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 Like I was like, always felt like they considered me an outsider, an interloper. And I was, you know, I was probably like the only one that was married. I had a kid, okay. you know what I mean? Like I, I was a 27 year old mom, yeah, you know, okay. where they were like 25 year old, probably a 24 year old, like cool kids. Hanging okay. Out. Did you start playing more shows around that same time or was there another gap? Between? It took pretty much. Yeah. There was definitely a gap. I was, Playing at the Narrows, they had an open mic. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the Narrows had an open mic. Um, Cafe Arpeggio in New, in Fall River. There was one in Fall River and there was one in New Bedford. Yeah. So I went to the Fall River Cafe Arpeggio, and then you know it was still it was really intermittent. There was a an open mic at the Custom House, which was like severely loud and like yeah. famous for like you would leave there with a soul. <laughs> <laughs> sucking chest wound, you know, from people just absolutely not giving a shit. I used to play at a place called Cobb Coffee House. Yeah, where was that? That was over by, like, the call, kind of. But it was a really beautiful room, so I, I loved going there, and that was kind of my first foray 
I would, you know, leave my baby at home mm-hmm. and uh, go into the city and um, and play music once a week. That was like, and I was completely cloistered. I I didn't have a job. I was a stay-at-home mom. I didn't really have friends. And, uh, you know, I was married to a guy like 10 years older than me. His friends were all 10 years older. So I was really like outside, you know, of society every and in every way. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me crazy enough to start writing poetry again. And like I had enough time on my hands to learn my instrument. And so you're living out here in, in Bristol? I was in Bristol, yeah, oh, okay. but in a different part of Bristol. And like this big beautiful house that like I could never keep clean. It was just like terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But I had this wonderful baby. Like I I had stuff that I wanted, but I definitely was very aware of being, you know, I was very alone. Okay. Did that inspire you? Yeah, absolutely. Inspired me to like behave really badly. It inspired (laughs) me to like do stuff that forced me to write poetry or go crazy. And it inspired me to, um, you know, it was like a, I, I felt very tragic. I was like the tragic heroine of my own Ingmar Bergman film. Okay. Was, to me. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, I would journal and stuff like that. I would just considered myself uh, tortured. <laughs> it's oh, okay. so funny, like, to even think that now, like, I just, that was it. And I had just chosen this life and I was like, I was in it, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it, I couldn't. Didn't imagine it changing at all. Okay. But it did, thank God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I could, I couldn't have, I couldn't have kept it going, put mm-hmm. it that way. But, um, yeah, so, and that's when things changed for me, is when I left that marriage and my everything, like my world just brightened. I felt like 10 years younger. I, I, um, I bought this house, I got a job, I paid my own bills, like I was for the first time ever in my life, and um, I I wrote all, I was writing constantly uh, music, I met Miles through a good, a friend of mine who had yeah. seen me play at a Riza show. I, okay, that's um, Miles Bear. Yeah, Miles Bear. Um, his friend, Heather Rose, mm-hmm. and um, said, I got a friend that I think would really like your music and I think you'd like him and you need to record you need to have um these songs out there and I was yeah. like Ooh. <laughs> so um I met up with him and we recorded Hopi because of that time I was so filled with hope yeah and uh Hopi was actually the sister of a kid I went to school with at school one he would t- he would tell all these like hair-raising tales of like horrific family abuse and featuring himself and his sister Hopi and it took me until that until that time of hope to realize they called this girl her name was Hope mm-hmm. spelled H-O-P-E not like the Indian okay and um they called her Hopi mm-hmm. and despite all the shit that was going on in, you know in their day-to-day life and I don't know it resonated with me and I named my record that yeah okay and that was the first record that you... That was the first real record. There was, a, there was like, a live recording at Cafe Arpeggio, like, in 2004. And it's so funny because I had... I was sitting on, like, mountains of materials. So I think there's, like, 16 tracks on that record. Oh, okay. And if anybody has a copy of Cafe Arpeggio, let me know because I don't. 
<laughs> there's like also, or you can put it on Discogs because people are looking. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, so you connected with, with Miles, and can you talk about recording that record? Yeah, absolutely. So we met up, and I he, he was just really sweet and really nice. And mm -hmm. first place we recorded was in the glass studio where he works. And where's, um, where was that? It was in Rehoboth. Okay. So um, it was nighttime. And so you can hear on the record um, peepers in the background. Yeah. So peepers, if you don't know, yeah. are little tree frogs, and they make this adorable sound uh, at night. And I realized at that point I really like that sound, that natural. Yeah, just um, the, like, the I like, rawness. I like keeping stuff. that stuff in there than over, like, overproducing. Yeah, I'd rather have some crickets and like birds on there. But I do like production. Don't get me wrong. There's times when... Um, both Miles and my friend Bob Kendall have done some beautiful production for me as mm -hmm. well. Um, but personally, as an aesthetic, I, I do, I really do like that raw sound. came out yeah absolutely so I I remember being I was at work when and it was the Providence Phoenix he said that the record uh, was like the combined ghosts of Sandy Denny and Nick Drake yeah, yeah and I it was the first time I'd ever been critiqued and I just saw I like open sobbed at work because he heard the British Isles influence that mm -hmm. I didn't think like I certainly did not play British Isles stuff out like I thought you know no one's going to get that and you know okay I, I didn't have the guts to do it and um, but somehow it came through even mm -hmm. in that record which I don't consider you know I wasn't thinking I'm trying to make a British Isles record yeah but he heard he heard my influences even though it was veiled to me and it made me feel really psyched <laughs> I was so happy and um, it did motivate me to I mean yeah I definitely don't write music to be commercially successful. I, I write what I want to write. I record this, the songs I have written out of pure love. It's nothing to do with like, oh, I got to make a hit. Like, and mm -hmm. I've been super lucky with the labels that I've connected with. They are not looking to, you know, they're not looking to put me on the radio or like okay. sell out a stadium or anything like that. Um, you know, it's a nice when a record um, gets bought, and I mm -hmm. and I love that. 
but it, it definitely to have a critic like what you're doing and have people respond to it is incredibly wonderful and and serves a purpose or to motivate me mm-hmm. too you know I'm, I'm glad yeah were there other musicians that you were connecting with at that time so my first uh, my first friend that was a musician like it's my friend Kim Lamoth at the time I only when I first started playing out I only had like an hour set mm-hmm. and she only had an hour set but people wanted to play a show for two hours so we would split a lot yeah and this was like the early like the early days in 2004 and then she ended up getting a band called uh, the Kim Lamoth Trio okay and I got a band with Miles and our mutual friend uh, Brendan Whipple so mm-hmm. Brendan played with me in the Land of Nod, and he played with Kim in the Kim Lamoth Trio. Oh, okay. So we, like, shared him, <laughs> which was kind of great. Um, yeah, and we played with Kath Bloom. And, you know, I was so, like, outside of the scene. I had no idea who Kath Bloom was or that why she was so cool and why she mattered. And I think she came in late, didn't hear our set. And we were kind of like, oh, who's this lady? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't really, so. But um, let's see. Uh, you know, AS220, I, I got to play with Marie Sue, mm-hmm. um, which was, she was one of those, like, she got up on stage, and the moment she opened her mouth, all of our jaws just hit the ground because it was so gorgeous. Wow. Um, I played at the Blackstone, that's now the Met. Okay, yeah. And so this is me at the Blackstone. I used to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, bell bottoms were still cool, or legs were cool. <laughs> and I was playing a nylon string guitar. So I played nylon string guitar for a long time. Okay. Because um, of my dad's influence yep. on me. We played uh, the Knitting Factory in, in New York. Yeah. So And we played Passim, and we played um, Stone Soup. Cool. And that was cool. Um, I used to play with Kim and her boyfriend and still her partner, uh, Christopher Moon. We used to play at a place in New Bedford called The New Wave. The okay. New Wave Cafe. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, New Wave Cafe. Yeah, yeah. You know that place? Yeah. yeah. So the New the new Wave was like basically like a bar for people like to come and hang out after yeah, they had yeah. worked a long time on a fishing boat or whatever. But they had music, which was... Mm-hmm. So we would play... Um, for people who really didn't care too much, but we cared about each other. And, um, but they put on this amazing, like, this big rock festival, and I played on um, the little stage. Like, they would put folk acts in between the um, the big rock bands. Yeah. And so so you, you can imagine how well that went over. <laughs> yeah, well, like, well received, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, it, you know, it was, it's, it was the first place, one of the first places I played and they would pay you 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And that was big money to me. Like, to yeah. me, getting paid 50 bucks, that was like my tagline. I'll play anywhere for 50 bucks. I would play Tommy Doyle's up in Boston, 50 bucks. Yeah. Or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. To get a guarantee in those days was like amazing. And yeah, anything. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still today. I'm yeah. Still <laughs> as well. I mean, uh... well, 50 bucks was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 50 bucks. But yeah. I've been paid in burritos, so. <laughs> I got, we got play, paid 
um, in part of a brownie. And it wasn't even a whole brownie, and it wasn't even a pop brownie. It was just <laughs> a brownie. And this kid was like, I can't pay you, but here you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because now I feel better. Because <laughs> now I actually have a thing in my car. It's like one of those sun catchers. Yeah. And I, uh, and I, it was another show I played with Kim, and we drove like 45 minutes outside mm -hmm. of the city to play this place. And there weren't a ton of people there, but there were people there, and they, you know, charged. So we we thought we would get paid. And at the end of the night, this very sweet woman that was part of the um, the couple that ran it presented us with beautiful boxes and was like, "Here you go, and this was your, this is what you're getting." Mm -hmm. And inside was the sun catcher, and I'm like, "Okay, so sometimes you're not going to get paid in cash money, but sometimes you're going to get paid in a wonderful experience." Mm -hmm. Like we played this gorgeous room. It was like one of my first listening rooms ever. Yeah. So it kind of reminded me to that that it wasn't all about. It can't yeah. be all about money. There's so much more to it. There's some places though that are so crappy that you better get paid. Yeah. <laughs> like at the end no, of the night. <laughs> that is a wonderful story. But yeah, the ones that I'm thinking are the ones where like I would have, I would have rather just had the, yeah. the fifteen bucks or whatever you know. So. Because yeah, touring is expensive, you know? So, it is. Um, That's true. So after that first record, how long was it before you um, went back in the in the studio? So Hopi came out in 2007, and then I pretty much, after it came out, um, I already had Hobgoblin's Hat, like, already written. If anything, okay. I had some of those songs. Most of those songs were written before Hopi. But okay. I, for, because I was going through Hopi, going through my divorce, I really wanted to put out like the Arcarant stuff, like the stuff that was actually uh, happening to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think, and Heather Rose was like later on, she's like, that was a really accessible record. Hobgoblin's Hat, I'm not sure. But <laughs> Hobgoblin's Hat was more the direction I wanted to go into because I like dark folk. And I, you know, that's, I like things to be a little gothic. Okay. And, um, a little spooky, and that's what it is. It's definitely a spooky record. It was based on fairy tales uh, that I had read or written okay. for the record, and um, so, and the the artwork was made by a fan that liked Hopi and created this beautiful cover for me. But you keep on speaking to me Still moonlight I can't close my eyes I can't close my mind To you When I am, I stumble to bed I've make shadows to crawl across the ceiling Force my head, no left unsaid Still what I heard, not quite what I wanted Everybody came together for me when I had zero money and zero resources Everybody came forth and like, for Hopi 
Miles didn't charge me anything. The person who did my graphics didn't charge me anything. I had to come up with the money to like pay. Um, it was Oasis. I've used disc makers ever since, though. I highly recommend disc makers. Mm-hmm. But I I had to come up with the money for Oasis. But that was it. Okay. Um, and I was really really lucky, you know, that yeah. people believed in me and wanted to help and mm-hmm. stuff. And because that got it got international criticism. And it was mm-hmm. all good, and I got international airplay, and a lot of it was good thanks to good old MySpace. Really? Yeah, it was super easy to find people because all I had to do was look at, you know, say Marissa's page, and she Marissa would have, Nadler. yeah, Marissa Nadler would have like all these publications or up there and stuff like that. It was so accessible. Um, so then you would just work yeah, to you them just and would say, like hey, yeah, hello, so I yeah, I have something. If you you know you like her, you <laughs> might like what I'm doing. Or uh, here I am and I'm doing this, and and they would give you a listen and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And she actually um, was incredibly supportive of me. And um, you know she's Miles's friend, mm-hmm. so she uh, he had her listen to the records, but she. Uh, told her fans to go listen to Hobgoblin's Hat, and I ended up with a lot of fans thanks to her. Incredibly grateful to her; she was generous. That's cool. To like, yeah, definitely. And um, and she even she did a little interview for me for um, I don't know if it was We Listen for You, um, but she was doing she did a few interviews back, like I maybe like five of them, but I was one of them, and she said. Uh, nice things about my record winter island mm-hmm. well that's great so some of this international press um is that what connected you with the labels that you worked with over there or so what happened was i was listening to a radio station called simple folk radio and um they would play these artists um that i loved and um and there was one. There was this one guy named Bird Engine, or called his his project Bird Engine. And there was another one, uh, the Great Park. So um, all these people were on the same label, which was Woodland Recordings. And so I went to their. I'm like, which sounded perfect. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like a yeah. woodsy person, and uh, yeah, I live in a cottage. I <laughs> make cottage folk, and so I wrote to him and. Uh, He's like, yeah, send me some demos. I want to hear, preferably you sitting in a field, like press record. Oh, okay. And so Miles, um, Miles helped me. And uh, actually, no, I think I just sent him some like phone stuff, or I don't know how I did yeah. it, but I sent him some demos, and and he loved it. And then so I recorded Winter Island with Miles. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that still at the? The uh, glass shop? No, we actually only recorded at the glass studio one time. Um, the rest of the time, it just was in his um, his kitchen. <laughs> like, okay. Where was, was that? Like, Where was he? He was living uh, in Fox Point at the time. Okay. And uh, so we would the we would drink a bottle. I would bring a bottle of red wine, mm-hmm. and he had this little uh, cup that had a cue on it, <laughs> and I would just we would record, and I would get like three songs deep like enough and then I couldn't record anymore so we would have a few you know okay sessions which was you know that was just how it went but I liked hanging out with him and uh so that that was kind of it was it was easy what was like what would stop you from recording 
Oh, just getting too drunk. Oh, okay. I got you. All right. I would get too loaded. But I loved recording with Miles. Miles has this thing. If he really likes it, his head will just go forward. So if you know you're like, and I definitely love feedback like that. Yeah, okay. So I would see him like really liking it, and that would make me play better. Upon you winter island We wore boots upon the sand Thanking heaven for our hunter's house The head beneath the chin Yeah, Miles, Miles and I recorded Winter Island, then we recorded Summer Place, but they were both EPs. Mm-hmm. So you're asking about the label. So I first got on the Woodland Recordings label. He brought me over to Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, he said... Because um, where are they based out of? He was based, he's based out of Germany. So he okay. was living in Berlin at the time. Berlin, yeah. And um, so he's like, well, when are you coming over? I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, you do know you're going to tour with this, right? And I was like, oh, my God. Because, you know, he's only making 100 copies. I, I didn't know. So I, I saved my pennies and we went. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was crazy. It was awesome. Really? That, you know, to, like, we went um, through, like, maybe four or five stops in Germany and then went and played two more in Switzerland. Wow. Two or cool. three in Switzerland. And I saw incredible sights, and then we took the train everywhere, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing, and he was like, he's like, hurry up, calorie. <laughs> you know? I was like, you took a middle-aged woman on tour with you. <laughs> How were the shows over there? Were you received well? And- it, was, it was amazing. Like, yeah. it, it was, it's hard to come back to America after playing, especially in Germany. Um, you're playing a packed room. Mm-hmm. you're playing to people who are dead silent, like, mm-hmm. listening to you, like, sometimes, like, a foot away from your face, and just incredibly respectful, and everybody buys music, and yeah. you never have to pay for a single drink, because the venues feed you, and, yeah. you know, it was take care of their artists, really so. take care of their artists, and so it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. Like, especially because at that level I was playing, you know, I was playing, like, um, Middle East and things like that. I was playing what I thought were great big rooms and everything. But people are talking through your set. I play softly. Mm-hmm. And I can be background music. Um, and I have been background music. But it's really nice to be, to play an actual concert and have people, because I'm coming from a background of poetry. I really do want you to hear what I have to say. Yeah. I could barely in real life you know yeah. <laughs> make a lot of sense but I do have something succinct to say through music mm-hmm. and so that's that's where I want to like put the best stuff out so it was great it was wonderful and it you know I got to do it another time with him and then um and then I recorded Mumblin' Stew at um Dirt Floor recording okay. and it was a totally different experience than from Miles because I did it totally sober and we just worked, and it, like a lot of it was uh, one takes, 
Okay. Uh, some of it wasn't, but you know, a lot of it was. And he's incredibly easy and wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. And then at the end of it, like at the you know, then we would have some wine. <laughs> that was it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could have probably done it all in one day if I if I'd really pushed myself. But as it was, we recorded most of it, and then the last two tracks I did the next day. So I recorded the whole thing in two days, basically. Wow. And then put it out like a month later. It was insane. (laughs) I had no idea about marketing. Like you're supposed to wait. Promoted by getting a You're supposed to actually get hype. (laughs) I've always put, just put the stuff out because either I had a really great show, like this special venue. And I was like, well, I should make this my CD release party. So I better get a CD out, you know, for it. Like I do it ass backwards. Yeah. You're writing records for yeah. the show you've got. Rather. Yeah, well, I mean, the, or I'm, I've been playing the songs, but I'm, you know, like, oh, I guess I should get around to recording it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And you've continued to work with uh, those same uh, same labels? Well, it's definitely, yeah, it's changed. So if my first label was Woodland Recordings, and then from Woodland, um, basically the guy that runs it is Stephen Birch. He also plays music under the name The Great Park. Okay. So um, he was playing a house concert, and I guess they were talking or whatever. He had music. And so the first label, my first vinyl label, was Jelly Fan. And they were like, so who's she? Allison Callery. And he's like, oh, she's this American, and blah, blah, blah. And they were interested in, in me and putting out my record. So I was motivated to make the summer place, and because what I my dream was to have Winter Island and Summer Place in one record, okay. and that came true. That yeah. was my first record. So it's like A side, B side of a yeah, record. yeah, cool. and it's super cool. And uh, they had friends of theirs, um, the Calabasas, who are amazing artists that live in Oberhausen with the Jellyfant gang. Yeah. They call themselves the Oberhausen gang. Okay. <laughs> and they're all just artists and musicians and you know, they have the label and um so the Kelbosses made this beautiful beautiful record cover mm-hmm. for me. And when I was in Germany, uh they we they explained to me what it all meant. It had to like each image pertained to some part of my record, but it was so like late and we were drinking a lot and they were speaking to me in very broken English. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have no idea what they said. <laughs> Except for, like, a couple of things. But yeah. it was very, very cool. And then my third, and then the next label. I did work with um, 75 or Less Records. That's here in Warren. Yeah. They put out, they helped me with Mumblin' Sue. Because I put the vinyl out on Jellyfant. And then I put out a CD out through 75 or Less. Cool. And at the time, they were still doing physical product. Yeah. And um, Will Schaff made the artwork for that, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Nice, I love yeah. it. Oh, my Carolina, won't turn to me forever. Now hill, the rambling rose, and I'll climb the highest fence to thrust my faith, my love, myself, my world. Bloom outside your window. No consequence to me if you're making me happy. No consequence to me if you're bringing me misery. Oh, my Carolina, 
record with for Mumble and Sue I started writing a new record um, I met Bob Kendall okay and he was very inspiring for me and Woodland Recordings had asked me to put out um, something onto a compilation that they were putting out um, so I re-recorded an old song at Bob's and Bob records out of a shed in his backyard and he calls it... Where's the, that? It's in Middletown. Middletown. Okay. And he calls it The Shed. <laughs> I call it Magic Shed. I almost, almost always get my song in a one take there. There's just something about it. It's like, we're in a small room now. It's like a third of the size of this room. Yeah. And Bob's a, a big guy. Like, he takes up half of it. And you're just there. Um, and we drink tequila. It's different, different than Miles. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just really awesome. It's just, he's really attentive and amazing to work with. Okay. Highly recommend working with Bob. And he's just an amazing musician, very, very mm -hmm. funny guy. So, like, it's awesome. So we got to doing, like, some small things. Like, there was a couple of compilations. I did something for um, Slow Acoustic. I recorded a Will Oldham song. Oh, cool. And Bob loves to uh, produce. So, and also Folk Radio UK had asked me to do, um, I had done a, uh, a radio, like a, like a podcast basically for them yeah. with Miles. And then, so years later I did one with Bob for the new stuff Yeah. and then he, uh, he's like, Oh, I, I put a little production on it. I hope you don't mind. And I listened. I was like, Ugh. it was so perfect and gorgeous. It was exactly the right, like light yep. light lightest touch and I absolutely loved it so when it was time to record a full-length record I went to him for the song the songbird sings yeah and um he's one of those people that this has a very organic um he just gets what you want you know for the, and I love what he did with that record It's not the ocean It's the water that will drag you under Where are the sugar Shopping anywhere Watching the rain fall at your door Oh, 
Kazi Records is my new label. Nice. And my new record is all tracked. It's called Ghost Folk. That was the name of the type of folk that um, my first label coined it, Ghost Folk. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, when are you expecting to have that so, out? So, Kazuma says uh, we have to wait until 2020 mm -hmm. to put it out because she wants, it's not done, Miles still has it, and he's, he's producing on it, but we yeah, have okay. to, um, he, she's like, we have to have six months of promo, yeah. and basically uh, for Christmas, everything after September, Germany just grinds to a halt for Christmas, Yes, because yeah, yeah. it is the, the everything, yeah. it's everything, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's definitely not going to come out until next year, I really cannot wait. That's exciting. I'm excited, you know, how records are, is, you know, you write the thing, you perform the thing, record the thing, but then it takes so long to, you know, get it finished. Yeah. So you're playing those songs. I've been playing the songs from this record for, like, at least two years at yeah. this point. Yeah. Like, it's hard to keep it fresh for you, particularly. Yeah, you know, it's a little, so. like, I always end up playing songs from an unreleased new record. <laughs> when I'm <laughs> when supposed to be touring this record. When I'm supposed to be touring with that record. So, yeah, yeah we'll see how good I do. I wrote a song a couple days ago, and I'm really tempted to contact Miles to see if he wants, would have me back and, like, just put one more song on this record. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. How would you say that you're... Or would you say that your songwriting has evolved over time? Well, when I first started playing, I was just in a regular tuning, and I was playing a nylon string. And mm -hmm. um, and I definitely, um, because I was coming from poetry, like straight off from poetry, I would take a lot of poems that were already written and just like put them to music. Oh, okay. And I've done that many times, and I still like to write that way. Mm -hmm. I do. But then, like you're um, writing the lyrics first. Yeah, you'll yeah. have the the lyrics, and then you'll just build a song around it, mm -hmm. and um, and that works out great. Mm -hmm. I've also written songs like I'll get I'll be playing around a guitar, and I'll hear a chord progression. It sounds nice, and I keep up, and then I and then I have to immediately run and hit play, so I remember what I'm doing, and I'll kind of sing like this. <laughs> Not quite words, but like sort of words come yeah. out of my mouth and definitely the, the melody mm -hmm. and you're singing over the thing. And then I'll go back and listen to it and see if I can pick out sometimes actual like lines and stanzas will come out exactly oh, wow. like that. It is absolutely like, <laughs> like it's coming from somewhere. I have no idea. So, yeah. And then and then I'll just tune it up. I have no idea how I write mo a lot of this stuff. It just comes out, like, really naturally. Like, it just sort of writes itself. I don't have too many songs that I've, like, had to go back and, like, tweak. Or, like, you can tweak or whatever, but I'm not sitting down there, like... What's that next line? Yeah, I, I pretty much write them like all that. in, like, five minutes or, like, last. <laughs> it's, like, boom, boom, boom. I feel like you just made every other songwriter mad that's going to listen to this episode. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, I'm not saying they're oh, any good. Know, these, <laughs> these beautiful songs that I write that everyone seems to love. I just, you know, I just write them. Yeah. I will, as I said, I really don't think I write them. I really think that I, it's like a, I'm a conduit for something else or something. I don't know. I have mm -hmm. no idea. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's... Um, I think maybe because I have a hard time talking or maybe because I spend so much time by myself, I'm always, 
Like I have mornings off when I'm alone. I work in an office, but I'm alone in the office. Okay. And prior to that, I was always alone at home. You know, my daughter would go to school, but I'd be like a home alone. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's just become a kind of a way of life of being by myself all the time. And I've gotten weird, I guess, <laughs> like weirder possibly. But that does lend itself to writing. Mm -hmm. and, like, I'll ignore my guitar, and then it's, I'll pick it up, and I'll write a song. So it works like that for me sometimes, too. Okay. Helps to, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, if you're yeah. away from it for a little bit. It also helps to switch. So my dad's guitar is the only nylon string I have now, and I haven't had a nylon string for a couple of years because I wasn't playing my other one because my husband had a steel string that had a plug-in. So a few years ago, um, you were asking what has changed with writing. Mm -hmm. um, when I started using more open tunings, Yeah. so um, that's when I started playing the steel string guitar. And definitely everything changed for the steel string, and I wrote a ton more because mm -hmm. you just hear something different. Yeah. Every time you change your instrument, I think, like going back and forth from now from the steel string, which I'm used to playing the nylon string, I'll play, I'll write songs on the nylon string easily. Yeah. You know. I see that you have a couple of interesting shows coming up here in August. You've got the Divine Providence Music Festival. Yeah. Can talk about that? I'm super psyched about that. I, um, I really love Knickerbocker and I love that area mm -hmm. and... It's a fantastic bill. Like, there's so many good. Yeah, it's like Ian from, you know, Neil from Deer Tech, right? And I don't know him. I, re I oh, don't. Okay. I don't. I've, I heard that. And then, you know, Death Vessel's there. And yeah, Dan Blakesley. And Haunt the House is going to mm -hmm. be there. I'm psyched. Um, and I think Horse-Eyed Men. And then there's a poet, uh, Jesse the Tree, I oh, believe. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and some other people. Uh, it looks really cool. Yeah. I'm psyched. And that's August 17th, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, Saturday. And then there's the Providence Book Festival, which I got involved with a couple of years ago. Um, John Fusick had asked me to play it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, eh, would you host? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But it turned out to be a lot of fun. What is hosting it? So hosting mean? is, well, I'm, um, there's the main stage, and then there's the smaller stage, which is basically the singer-songwriter stage. They call it the song crafter stage. Okay. And um, but I said I would host it as long as I could co-host it with my friend Bob Kendall. Mm -hmm. So Bob said yes, and he was playing it as well. So that's why I asked him. And yeah. so he and I have co-hosted it for the past couple of years. Cool. And we're doing it again this year. This year I got to book the acts. Oh, nice. Who do you have? Who do you have with you this year? So I have some. Um, incredible people that uh, I really love that I met this girl, Katie, because um, we played a show at the Grange, which oh, unfortunately yeah. no longer has music. I wish they did because yeah. it was so much fun. But she goes by the name Swimming Bell. And um, she had introduced me to this other guy named Andrew Vick. And so he's playing so Swimming Bell, Andrew Vick. Um, I had asked... Um, so the first person that I asked was John Ferrone. Oh, yeah. And yeah. He's, he's lovely. He's just a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. And I've watched him really blossom as a songwriter in the past yeah, few great, years. Yeah. He's, um, 
he does a couple of songs and that will just make me every time just really move me. Mm-hmm. So he said yes, very excited. I'm having um, this guy named Rick Allendorf had contacted me, so I had liked what I had heard. I'd heard some fingerstyle stuff that he did. He's more on the um, there's like the spectrum of folk, <laughs> like yeah. from normal to weirdo folk, which I'm closer to the weirdo <laughs> folk, and he's more of the normal folk. So I wanted to have something for everybody, so I have a few of the normal folk. Yeah, the quote-unquote like, normal Yeah, ones. <laughs> so Lisa Bastoni, and she's done some really great stuff, the Lara Herskovich. And then we have the more of the alt-folk people. I shouldn't say weirdo folk. Um, but, you know, me, there's Bob. Bob Kendall's going to be playing, of course. And then, like I said, Swimming Bell, Andrew Vick. And then... um. Cody from Harvey Garbage. Oh, okay. um, he wrote to me and was like, is there a room? And I'm like, yeah, for a seatbelt. So then he's got a side project with his girlfriend, Amelia, um, okay. called Seatbelt. And they're phenomenal. Yeah. And so basically anything that I've heard that guy do is just completely raw and gorgeous and honest and real, real music. Uh, cool. Unharnessed mm-hmm. talent. So it's a pleasure. Um, I really struggled because, of course, I wanted to book my daughter, and I'm like, well, this is my first year booking it. I'm not going to try it out the, uh, that yet, but she's definitely playing next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I basically have next year already booked, too, because there were so many people that came forth and wanted to play, and they were all so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I already have it. Mm-hmm. I have it booked up, so don't bug me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's it like having your your daughter now play? It's amazing. Yeah. I and her name is her name is Ava Callery, and uh, she hasn't put out anything yet. Although she will, um, there's a compilation coming out in uh, September, late September, on Infinity Vine Records, and so she has a song on that. I have a song on that, and a bunch of our friends. So that'll be super cool. So. Um, yeah, everyone's been pressuring her to record. Uh, yeah. She is amazing. She's always been a writer. She's my only child. And um, ever since she was six years old, when she started writing, and yeah. they would have to do assignments for school, all the other kids, you know, would do it on the one sheet, and she'd always have to ask the teacher for more paper. Oh, okay. So she just, it comes to her naturally. So she does, and she writes for a living as well. She writes for Providence Monthly, and... She's oh, okay. also working at the Columbus now as the house manager, and nice. um, that's just like within the past couple of weeks. Oh, and cool. um, and then she's playing a million shows. So she's the busiest, hardest working woman I know. She's definitely out there all the time. Cool, hustling. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting to not hustle as much. I I put it on my Facebook that I am retired from every um, hustling. <laughs> yeah, every day cool. I'm hustling. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I I kind of made it a point this year um, to enjoy my summer because I've had summers where I only got to the beach one time because mm-hmm. I was so busy every single weekend. And you know how it is when you're performing at night, you can't go to the beach during the day because you're gonna be so tired. You just yeah, want to yeah. lay around and have your sunburn. So um, yeah, this year I was just like, I only want to do so many shows. So I'm doing like three or four shows a month instead of eight. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better. Yeah. And I'm liking that a lot. <laughs> so. What would you say is your 
greatest musical accomplishment? I think that getting to go to Europe was like, I, I mean, I, I had a template in my brain um, when I, when I saw what Marissa Nadler was doing, like mm-hmm. she inspired me so much um, because she was playing incredibly gorgeous, incredibly personal uh, and not hugely produced. Like at least I'm talking about her first records. Yeah. And she was taking this really precious, beautiful music and going overseas. And that's all I wanted. I mm-hmm. like, that's what I wanted. That was, that was it. So basically, you can dig a hole for me, and I will lie <laughs> in it because I have done what I wanted to do. I got international uh, touring, and I have had international airplay and international critical acclaim. That yeah. was, you know, good stuff. And um, yeah, so that was it. So I really, really love it. I don't know um, what else would I want to do at this point other than continue to put out these weird records and hopefully people will like and um you know i loved going to south by southwest the two times when i went it mm-hmm. was a lot of fun that was like it was neat to go to south by southwest and then go to germany and people knew about me there because i played south by southwest oh, okay so yeah. even though you're playing like you know a strange little place i got the wonderful opportunity to play right before riley walker So Riley Walker had all these people waiting to hear him, Mm -hmm. and and there I was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I got some really nice uh, press because of that. It was just like a trick of fate, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was nice. But, um, yeah, I I do enjoy being part of the Providence Folk Festival. Um, I'm the president (laughs) of the Providence Folk Festival. But it's yeah. more like, hail to the chief, it's the job nobody wants. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it's kind of like that, and I don't know if it'll always be. And I do really like, uh, um, I love being able to take people that, I would like being able to put uh, Harvey Garbage or seatbelt like in front of people that yeah. maybe would never go to see one of the DIY shows or whatever that, yeah. that they put on and hear some real amazing lyrics and stuff like that i like mixing up um the mix i have i think is cool for the song crafter stage and that is at roger williams no it's not there no so this is huge it's at rose larissa park in east providence oh okay we got a new home and it's bigger and it has water access as well so we're gonna be right on the water it's a gorgeous park yeah and we're right across the street from the Lewis Carousel, yeah. so you can go over there, and so it'll be That's very, fun. very neat. Yeah, and the date is August twenty fifth. Yep. Yeah. What time does it start? Starts at noon. Um, bring a long chair, bring your picnic. Yeah. Get there early because that's when I play. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Sweet as bees pollen on gentle breezing More bitter than the taste of wormwood In love with the dark, in love with dust 
Love 